Thank you, Hannah. You can turn in your Bibles to the very beginning, the first two verses of the Bible. So if you don't have a Bible or have never opened a Bible, uh, this is an easy one for you today. Just Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you could stand, please, as we read these couple of verses together. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. This is the Word of God. Uh, So you can uh, maybe see from our worship this morning and the bulletin that we're going to start a a sermon series today called Being Creatures, where we're going to be looking for the next few weeks at the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And so from just these first two verses this morning, I'll preach from the title, Worship the Creator. And I'll begin with this question. What is your life for? What is the purpose of your existence? We can expand the question. What are the plants and the animals, the seasons and weather patterns, the soil and watersheds which make up the Chicago region? What, what is all of that for? What is the landmass that we call North America for? What is the earth for? What, are, what is the, the Milky Way and the galaxies beyond it? What, what, are, what is it all for? What is their meaning and purpose? Now, if you're like most of us, you may not have a quick answer to those questions, including the most personal one. What are you for? And I think the reason that that we can't give quick answers to these sorts of questions is that, that most of us don't think in terms of given purpose. We think of meaning not as something given to us, but as something defined and determined by our own experiences. Think of two different people listening to the exact same piece of music and coming to two very different interpretations of what that music means. And that's not strange to us. No matter the artist's intention, you and I likely expect that different experiences lead to different meanings. But the the first people to hear the creation stories of Genesis chapters 1 and 2 had a different relationship to meaning and purpose. Listening to these poetic stanzas, they were not likely wondering about how the material universe had been divinely created. The more interesting question for them was about the purpose this creator God had given to each part of the creation. In these first two verses, ancient Israel was reminded that God created the universe from chaos. From chaos, God brought life-giving and life-generating order by giving meaning to everything that he created. Personally, I am convinced that one of the critical questions for our generation to answer is whether the universe, that is everything, including you and me, has inherent meaning or whether purpose is left up to us to determine. If the universe has not been given meaning by a creator, then it's on us to decide 
the purpose of other people, of the plants and animals with whom we share our neighborhoods, of the the lakes and the fields which feed us. If Lake Michigan doesn't have meaning beyond what we decide it has, then as long as the lake nook the lake looks nice enough for our social media pictures and and isn't too polluted for our water treatment plants, then we don't have to really care about the invasive species making their way into the lake or the the toxic waste that, that drifts into the lake during storms and from heavy industry. If all of our city's children, to take a different example, have not been given equal significance by a creator, then you and I can sleep okay at night knowing that our racialized systems, policies, and legacies create more safety and opportunity for white children while tolerating more risk and fewer opportunities for children at the other end of that racial hierarchy. More than whatever we claim to believe, our actions reveal that many of us, myself included, don't imagine the universe as having been given meaning by its creator. Though most of us in this room would be very quick to to claim our belief in God, How we treat the people and the places and the creatures around us reveal that we don't typically imagine God as creator. Now, I don't say that as a judgment because I am just as prone as anybody else to treat this world as a blank slate for my own experiences rather than latent with sacred purpose given by the creator. So, For the next few weeks, we are going to immerse ourselves in the strange assumptions of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. What we will find is that the the author of these chapters, as well as those who first heard them, simply assumed that everything had been created by God and that this creator had infused all of creation with purpose and meaning. In the Sundays ahead, we're going to see that this perspective very practically impacts how we treat the rest of creation. But today, to start with, we're going to see how this perspective also impacts our view of God. Here's the very simple invitation I hope we will hear from these first two poetic lines of Scripture. Worship the creator. That's the invitation this morning. Worship the creator. Uh, to, To which many of us might respond, I do. I already do. I'm good. Okay. But again, if God is creator, and if the universe and all that it sustains has been created, then nothing and no one And nowhere is devoid of divinely given purpose and meaning. Everyone and everything and everywhere quivers with God's loving intention. And maybe it's just me. Maybe you would disagree. But when I look at how we treat 
our neighbors, including our most vulnerable children or newly arrived migrants or our incarcerated sisters and brothers. Or when I consider our immediate environment, including where our food comes from and the sources of our drinking water and the industries responsible for polluting our air and giving some of our children asthma. Or when I consider the immense pressures many of our young people experience to define fully their identities or determine totally their futures or declare their social allegiances, pressures too heavy for even adults to bear, much less children still growing up. When I consider some of these things, I think it's safe to assume That whatever we say we believe about a creator and the creation, many of us, myself included, are living under very different assumptions than those held by the first hearers of Genesis 1 and 2. So maybe, maybe, the invitation to worship the creator is one we need more than we might first think. This morning, we're just considering Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. But I think that we're going to find that there is more than enough to evoke our creaturely worship of our Creator God in just these first two verses. In fact, I want to point out six reasons these two short verses give to worship the Creator. Now, six is too many. And as Brittany and others could tell you this morning, preachers should typically limit themselves to like two or maybe three points if they want anybody to remember anything that they say. But truthfully, I'm not all that interested in you remembering my six points today. Rather, I would like us to experience the poetic call to worship the creator that I think is embedded in these few sentences. Does that make sense? Number one, worship the creator because God doesn't need an introduction. Genesis verses one and two, the creator's presence is simply assumed. There is far more describing the creation to come than the creator Though the creator's character will be revealed in the verses and chapters to come. But but God's presence is just assumed. Early hearers of these creation stories would likely have have noticed a a difference between what we find in Genesis and and other cultures and civilizations creation stories. Because we we have examples of creation stories that are Egyptian or Sumerian or or Babylonian in their origins. And and they shared some things in common. The the, the creation stories tend to focus on on, on the, the, the God or the gods giving meaning and purpose to the creation, but but there was some significant differences between the story that we find here in Genesis. One biblical scholar uh, says of those differences that instead of divine combat and struggle among the gods, the creation story of Genesis is wrought peaceably and systematically 
through sovereign word and action. Now, what does that mean? Well, well let me give you a, a paraphrase that I found from, from one of the Babylonian uh, creation stories. And, and notice the differences between what we just read in Genesis. In the beginning, there was water. And this water is where the gods are born. Two kinds of water. The turbulent feminine sea and the docile masculine river. Fresh and salt water intermingling, together forming a teeming pool from which the gods spring forth, all kinds of gods, noisy and raucous gods, gods who beget other gods. One of these gods arises as more powerful than the others, filled with a restless conquering spirit. The watery orb of his origin becomes too small for him, too confining, and he decides to revolt. He gathers an army of monsters to do battle with the sea, his foremother, who has whipped herself into a terrifying frenzy, a primordial hurricane. He wins. He kills her. As an afterthought, he decides to make use of her corpse. He splits her down the middle, gutting her like a fish, and from her dead flesh forms the dome of the heavens and the sweep of the earth. He kills her consort as well, and from his blood, the warring god makes a multitude of tiny slaves whose sole purpose it is to serve the gods, to keep them gratified and well-fed. Okay, you didn't have to work really hard to notice the differences between (laughs) stories. The god of Genesis needs no introduction. The creator's presence is simply assumed. This God is different than the other gods. Creation is purposeful. And it is called into existence not through violence, but through loving intention. Number two, worship the creator because God exists before the beginning of creation. Other creation stories focused on the origins of the gods. But not Genesis. Genesis, the focus is on the beginning of creation itself. Genesis assumes that you can't get before God. You can't go behind God. There's not a time when God wasn't. When you and I worship the God of Scripture, we are not worshiping a God who's a little better than us. We're not worshiping a God who's a lot better than us. We are worshiping a God who is categorically different than us. The God portrayed in Genesis is not like you. Now, we are going to find that human beings are created in the image and the likeness of God, but this is to be given a unique vocation to point the rest of creation to its creator. It is not to compare you and I to God. Because, you see, only the creator creates Paul says in Romans chapter 4, God calls into being things that were not. Anybody here call into being things that are not? Only the God who exists before creation itself can do such a thing. Now, this is humbling for us. It means acknowledging that we are not the author of our lives. That there is but one author, and that is God alone. But it's also encouraging. 
Because worshiping this God, worshiping this creator means aligning ourselves with the only one who is not bound by the limits of creation. Worship anything else and is bound by creation's limits, but not the creator. Number three, worship the creator because God speaks creation into being. You got a glimpse of this in the creation story I read to you, but, but many of these stories have violent beginnings, bloodshed, war, turmoil of, of all different kinds. Genesis, on the other hand, shows a God who just speaks creation into existence, who just speaks creation into purpose. Next week, we're going to look at a longer passage, the first six days of creation. At the beginning of each of these days, we read, and God said. Not God worked, not God fought, God said. God speaks creation into existence, which reveals the power of God. With a word, God separates water from sky. With a word, God differentiates the sea from the land. With a word from the creator, galaxies are formed and creatures fill the oceans and spill over the continents with a word. For those of us on this side of the the cross, this word also points us to Jesus. About whom John writes in his gospel, in the beginning was the, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God speaks creation into existence, and Jesus is the word through whom everything was spoken into existence. Which means that the creation word that Jesus speaks in Genesis 1 and 2 is not a one-time word. Because with a word, that same creator calmed the storm. And with a word, he drove out the demons. And with a word, he restored the outcast. And with a word, he healed the sick and forgave the sinner with a word. The creator who spoke life into existence is still speaking life into existence. To which perhaps we might pray, forgive us, Lord for our small prayers, for asking you to make little minute adjustments to our lives when planets and stars were spoken into purposeful existence with a word, when bodies decayed by disease were healed with a word, when dry land rose up from the watery depths with a word, when the spiritual forces of evil were extracted and banished with a word, Open our eyes to the word, capital W, through whom creation was spoken into existence, who became flesh and made his dwelling among us, who took on to himself our sin and rebellion that we might be reconciled to God, creatures to their loving creator. Number four, worship the creator. Because God creates everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the the author's way of saying everything. All of it. All of it. 
There is nothing that exists that God did not create. From Alpha to Omega, God created everything. There's nothing in this universe uncreated by the Creator. Now, you and I, we, we live on the other side of the fall that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. And so we, we know intimately how sinful corruption obscures our Creator's good purpose. We acknowledge this regularly as a church living into our identity as a reconciling and reconciled people that we might bear witness to the goodness of our God in a world corrupted by sin. And yet even in a world corrupted by sin, everything was still created by the creator. Nothing is uncreated. No matter how marred and how broken, everything, everyone, everywhere is created by the creator. What this means is that you and I don't get to claim ultimate authority over anything or anybody or anywhere. Parents, even your children. None of us are the creators. So again, there's a a humility here before the creator that only this God gets to claim ultimate authority over the creation. But it also means if everything was created by this God, that nothing is irredeemable because it was all created by the creator. There is no one, there is no place, there is no thing irredeemable in this life because it all has the fingerprints of the creator all over. The child that you have been praying for for years remains God's handiwork. The boss who has been blocking your advancement is also God's handiwork. The family who you miss desperately is God's handiwork. The professor who misunderstands your intentions, the the landlord who is ignoring you, it all bears God's fingerprints. Nothing is uncreated. Nothing is irredeemable. Everything. Everyone has been created, which means there is nothing in your life that cannot be redeemed. There is no one who you love who cannot be rescued. There is no place in our city so overlooked, so marginalized, so forgotten, so mistreated that God is not present, the creator of that place. Number five, worship the creator... Because God is present in chaos. Robert Alter is a a Jewish scholar and he's translated all of the Hebrew scriptures. And and he translates verse 2 of chapter 1 like this. "The, The earth then was welter and waste and darkness over the deep and God's breath hovering over the waters. There's a lot of different translations of these first couple of verses because there's some, some Hebrew words here that are actually very difficult to translate. But, but what everybody agrees on is that the, the vibe of these verses is chaos. The, the, the thing we're supposed to feel is that this was a, a chaotic scene, a, a lack of order. Now, we will find that God doesn't leave chaos that way. But we got to start with the fact that God isn't distant from the chaos. The old King James translated, and, and, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There's some foreshadowing here. The Creator doesn't remove Himself from the creation, 
even when it's chaotic. The creator is present to his creation, even when it's chaotic. Uh, The creator speaks a word into the chaos and brings about order, and then we sin and reintroduce chaos into the cosmos. But, 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 But the chaos, even of our sin, could not keep the creator away from us. And so I wonder, what chaos are you in right now? Every single one of us is in some kind of chaos in our lives. I don't care how placid it is on the surface, how well put together you are today, how much your paycheck is this coming Friday. I promise you, every single one of us is living with some chaos right now. And if we're not careful, we will start to assume that because this place in our life is chaotic, God must not be here with us. Because I'm doing okay in this place of my life. I've kind of got it together over here. So clearly God's at work over here. But this place over here is a mess. And so maybe God's not present here. Genesis reminds us that the breath of God, the spirit of God, the wind of God was present in the chaos. You've not been abandoned in that chaotic place. You've not been forgotten in that chaotic place. God is with you in the chaos. And then number six and related, worship the creator because God creates purpose from the chaos. There's interesting theological debates to be had about does God create out of nothing? There's some water in these verses. So did God create out of water? We'll let the theologians have that debate. I lean towards out of nothing because we find some passages in Scripture that seem to point in that direction. But here at least, there's something chaotic. It's not just nothingness. And God, from that chaos, creates purpose. We're going to speak more to this in the coming weeks. But for today, it's enough to say that, that God brings purpose from chaos. He does not banish chaos first. It's not how you and I do it, is it? Anybody, when you get real stressed, you start cleaning? (laughs) Or when you have a deadline, you start organizing everything? Like my, my study at the ministry center is never more clean and put together when I am the most stressed. Like, if you walk into my study and it's a mess, you'd be like, Pastor Dave is doing pretty good these days, actually. His life is going okay. But if everything is exactly where it should be, if there's no dust on my desk, you need to be praying for me. Because that's what we do with chaos. We think it needs to be banished. We think it needs to be swept away in order for the new thing to come. We, we think that we need to get our stuff together, our lives together, at least on the surface level, right? For the new thing to come, for the better thing to come. But God does not banish the chaos that exists in Genesis 1. God brings purpose from the chaos. Now, if if we understood how good that was, some of you would be jumping out of your chairs right now. Why? Because you are chaos, For real, for real. If God banished chaos, you and I would have been sent away a long time ago. 
we would have, if the table had to be swept clean of the chaos, we would be swept off that table. But God doesn't banish the chaos. He pulls order and meaning and purpose from the chaos. Our God breathes life into the chaos and brings creation into its purposeful existence. God did not flee from Cain and Abel's murderous chaos. God did not flee from Abraham and Sarah's faithless and doubting chaos. God did not flee from Lot's debauched and incestuous chaos. God did not flee from Jacob's nepotistic chaos. And that's just like the first half of Genesis. And you might say, "Uh, I don't really know the Bible. I don't really know those names. That's okay, because you know your life. And you know the chaos of your life. And I'm here this morning to tell you that God does not flee your chaos either. That God knows the disorder and the confusion in your life. That God knows the formless and empty places in your life. The shadows over the deep of your life. And God has not abandoned you to the chaos. God intends to bring meaning and purpose from the chaos. I think that's pretty good. Jarrett, would you mind jumping on the keyboard for us? Thank you. So, so if, if Genesis was written to be a, a scientific overview of the origins of the universe, then the significance of these verses would, be, would maybe be limited to our appreciation of what God did a long time ago. But if these verses are not just about what God did once, but about who God is, then you and I don't have the luxury of reading these verses from a detached distance, just kind of an intellectual analysis. Because Genesis introduces us to the creator who works with formlessness, emptiness, and darkness as his preferred mediums. Genesis reveals to us a creator who inhales chaos and exhales beauty, who is present everywhere and always. And and my, my sense is that there's only two real reasonable responses to this creator God. We can turn away. We can turn away from this God. We can reject the possibility of a God who stands behind all of creation. A God who imbues everything and everyone and everywhere with sacred meaning. We can choose to accept a world in which we alone are responsible for making and assigning purpose. In which we alone are responsible for holding back the chaos of the world and of our own hearts. That's an option. But there's another option. With awe and wonder, we can worship creator. We can release ourselves from the toil of creating our own meaning in this world, of finding our own way, of bearing an authority that was never ours to carry. We can rest into a trust that the creator God is holding all things together, is holding the universe together, is holding you together. Can rejoice in a creator God who, whose breath of life gives everything and everyone and everywhere holy dignity.
whose word creates life from chaos, whose grace generates and sustains a universe of unfathomable beauty. Scripture tells us that all of creation, as Brandy reminded us earlier, worships God. How? Simply by honoring the meaning and purpose given by the creator. So the psalmist says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. In Psalm 96, let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all the creation rejoice before the Lord for he comes. Can I tell you one of my hidden agendas for the next few weeks? Is that you won't be able to walk down the street without being like, oh, what's, what's, what's worshiping around me? Like for, like really? Like, oh, that tree, by being a tree, by, by, by turning into its bright oranges and reds, is worshiping the creator. That squirrel, who I'm in a little bit of a battle with because he's going after my peppers and my tomatoes, but by, by, by hoarding and, and burying the acorns is worshiping its creator. Lake Michigan, by stabilizing our atmosphere near the lake and providing drinking water to creatures and to you and I is worshiping its creator. My, my agenda is that you won't be able to, to walk down the street without like having to take a little praise break because all of creation is worshiping its creator. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. So will you join creation's chorus of praise? Will you relinquish your life to the creator who made you with loving intention? Will you find your life's truest meaning and deepest purpose in relationship to the one who brought beauty from chaos, salvation from sin? Will you, in other words, with your life, worship our creator? Can we pause just in a second of a quiet, prayerful reflection. Before Hannah comes and and prays for us, how, how might the same spirit of the living God who hovered over those chaotic waters be inviting you with your whole life to worship your creator?